0: I'll just take another moment to welcome you. If I didn't already say this, or if you didn't catch it, my name is Josh McLean. I'm just one of the pastors here at the church at, uh, at Hagerstown Church. And uh, last week, we were in Exodus chapter 32. I'll, I'll say this again. I, I say this almost every week, but we are going through the Bible together in, in 2019. So we started in, Re- in Genesis, we'll end in Revelation, and we're reading through. And as we do, we're praying that God would give us both growth spiritually, that we would be strengthened on His word, but not just that we'd be strengthened. That, but that also we would sense unity as a body that we'd grow together. And I believe that those things will take place as we read the scriptures together, as we pray the scriptures together, as we memorize them together. We believe that that's where the power is at. So we're walking through that. And last week we were in Exodus chapter thirty-two. That's what we read, and that's what I preached. And so we we learned how quickly the Israelites would break their covenant with Yahweh. God had invited them into this wonderful covenant. It's going to be difficult for them to fulfill, but he invited them in. They, they agreed to do it, and as soon as they did, they broke it. They began to worship in another way or to worship another god. But God was full of mercy, and he extended that to them. We saw that last week. The book of Numbers, it actually picks up there where that leaves off. So the book of Numbers, I'll give you the high view of it. It's broken up into three parts. It's their time at Sinai. They're there for a, a, a year there, as they leave Egypt, they go to Sinai, and there God unveils his new law. And he says, this is, this is how you're going to live. You're not going to live like you did in Egypt anymore. This is how you're going to live. And they, they spend a year there, and then they spend some time traveling to Paran. And as they get to Paran, that's where the events take place today. And so we're in, Exodus, or we're in Numbers 13 and 14, and that's where that takes place. They're there for some time as they spy out the land and then they travel and, and, and uh, they're in their wilderness wandering. We'll find out why they're there for such a long time. And then they enter into Moab and that's where we'll be a little bit this week and uh, then right before they enter into the promised land. But anyway, in Exodus 13, that's where we're at. So if you've got that, go ahead and turn there. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I want to just share this. This is the count of the spies as they enter into the promised land to spy it out to get a report. And as they do, I want you to know this, that this, this passage, Exodus or Numbers 13 and 14, is a watershed moment historically, not just for the children of Israel, but also for us. As we look at the children of Israel, so many came out. As they struggled to, to, to desire to go back into the land of, of, of Egypt, why would they want to do that? As they struggle with that, this is the last of those who struggle. You see, at this point, moving forward And after there are no more left that want to go back to Egypt. From this point forward, God would judge and remove the promise to any of those who didn't believe, to any of those who didn't want to go into the promised land. So my challenge for you this morning, as we as we look at this text, I want to ask you this question: Do you believe God's word? That's the reason why Israelites didn't actually, some of them did not actually make it into the promised land. They didn't believe God. So my question for you this morning is, is there an area in your life where you're not believing God for something? Is there an area in your life where you're not believing God for something? With that question resting on your minds, I want you to read the text with me. We're going to start in Numbers 13. I said it right that time. Uh, Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3. We'll skip down to verse 25, and we'll read all the way into chapter 14. So with me in, in Exodus 13, verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord spoke... To Moses, saying, "Send men out of the land of Canaan, which I or out to the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man; every one a chief among them." And so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the all the men who were heads of the people of Israel. Skipping down to verse twenty-five, it says, "And at the end of forty days, they returned from spying out the land, and when they came to Moses." and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and, and this is its very fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and, and very large. And Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the, of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites, they dwell by the sea along the Jordan and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, "Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it." And then the men who had gone up with him said, "We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report to the land. That they had, uh, of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spied out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there, were, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or, or, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Verse 5. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were about those who had spied in the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we we passed through to spy out, it is an exceeding good land. And if the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to, them, or said to them with stones, or said to stone with them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray again as we enter into an exposition, as we look at this text that you're speaking to us this morning, we pray that you would truly... Allow us to see our reflection. When we read a story of the children of Israel, the, your people so long ago, as we meditate on that, as we think through as we chew through this passage, no doubt we'll begin to see some resemblance in our own lives. Areas in our lives where you've promised us something and yet we've not believed it. Instead, we've rebelled against it, and those whom you've shared are given to share that message with us. So we humbly bow before you this morning with Moses and Aaron. We put our faces down. We ask for forgiveness, and we ask that you'd lead us into truth and that you'd help us to believe it. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. As we walk through this passage this morning, I just want to give you the framework that I'll use. It's the framework of the text. It begins with this: God makes a request. He tells Moses, "This is what he's to do." And then they're to send out some uh, spies. Then we see we'll see that the the spies come back and they give a report. And then we'll see after the spies report, we'll see Caleb's response. So the obvious uh, overarching question that I want to, to rest on you this morning is this: Will you believe in God's word? Will you believe in God's word? In the face of danger, in the face of adversity, in the face of lack and of fear, will you choose to believe God's word? I want to just point something out as we jump into this idea of God's request. God makes a request that Moses would send the children of Israel into the land. And I want you to think about this. Why would God do that? We're getting ready to see a pretty stark shift here. We've seen God do some amazing things and the life of the Israelites here as he's come to them, right? And almost everything that God has done, God has what? Done. He's done it all. What did he do? He stretched his hand out against Egypt and against Pharaoh. And what did he do? He crushed them. And now we're getting ready to see something a little different. God is inviting the Israelites to play a role in this. Now, I want to be very clear to you. Well, in two things. First is this. As we see God interact with his people in Scripture, it it, it instructs us, it informs us, remember, about the character and the nature of God. This is how we learn about God. He will tell us things about himself, and then he'll tell us things that he has done. And in that, we will see that's, okay, that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God Yahweh is. So think about that. As you think about that, I also want you to think about this. God did not need the Israelites. He's getting ready to, to take over the Canaan. He's going to wipe out, push the Canaanites out and all the Jebusites and the Am- Amorites and the Amalekites. He's going to push them all out and he does not need the Israelites. Would you agree with me on that? He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not concerned. Well, now I've got them on my side, we can do this. So with that in mind, we're learning about the nature of God, and God does not need the Israelites. With those two things in mind, I want you to see, this is maybe two reasons why God has invited the Israelites to be a part. The first one is this. God oftentimes uses ordinary means to accomplish the extraordinary. Think about that. That God oftentimes will use ordinary means to accomplish the extraordinary. Sometimes God, in His mercy, Will work in a miracle and he'll part the Red Sea and, and you'll know that there's no way. Nobody's even done anything. Moses put his staff out and this happened. How could this happen? You see, that's the Lord working. Other times it's 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 clear, but not as clear, and he allows us to play a bigger role in that. So God will use the ordinary person to do the extraordinary. No doubt you would agree with that in your own life as whether you're a believer or, or, or not, whether you believe in Jesus, the Son of God or not, you would believe that more than likely that, that God has used ordinary means even in your own life to do miraculous things. So God invites them in to play a role in the conquest of the land and he declares them victorious before they even step foot into the promised land. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 13 he says, I am giving you the land. So while he's giving them the land, he still invites them to play a role in that. That's true for you today, Christian. God would use you. He's inviting you in to play a part in the miraculous work that he is doing. Even here in Hagerstown. Hagerstown Church, that's our testimony. That's our story. That's what we want to be. We don't want to be an extraordinary church. We want to be an ordinary church that's faithful to the Lord. And in that, we believe that that most exemplifies the extraordinary, miraculous nature of Christ in His people and in this city. So not only does God oftentimes invite the ordinary in to accomplish the extraordinary, but also God uses tests like this to demonstrate our faith and where we truly are. So God oftentimes tests our faith to demonstrate to us where we truly are. 40 is the number that you've heard many times in the Bible. Whether this is maybe uh, your first time here at Hagerstown Church or maybe your first time actually reading through the Bible in a, in a year, you would recognize that you've already heard 40 before many times. Jesus was tempted for 40 uh, days. The, um, and uh, the children of Israel were wandering for 40 years. And uh, you've, you've got the, the Moses gone for 40 days. I mean, this is a, up, on, on, up on Mount Sinai. This is a sign of God's testing. God tests the people here. It's not that God doesn't know where His people stand. And when you experience a test, it's not that God doesn't know where you stand. It's more that oftentimes we don't know where we stand. The children of Israel had thought, we believe in Yahweh, we will follow His covenant... At the same time, God is saying, hey, I, I think I know your heart a little better than you do, and I want to test you. I want to reveal to you what's actually taking place, and so God invites them in. I think another side thing is, and this is something that oftentimes we forget about, this is the, it's this, that God cares about you. God cares about your emotions, and you say, well, where did you find that in that? I imagine a time, I think back to a time when I've been excited about receiving a gift. Maybe it was I had saved up and purchased a vehicle, and wasn't much but I had got it ready and I wasn't ready to drive though if the car was ready I wasn't ready and I would get into that I would see that car and I would just my heart would just swell with joy as I would think about this awesome excitement that this event that's in front of me I remember thinking as a young 15 year old boy I just want to go sleep in that car I just want to sit and I would I would sit in that car and just run my hands and just think about all the fun I would have and the places we'd go and the people that would be with me and the joy that would be shared and Just sit in that car and daydream. Maybe you can relate to me in that. The children of Israel, we're about to experience something far greater than an old uh, beat-up 25-year-old car that they're going to race around town in. We're more excited than that. They've been waiting for years, hundreds and hundreds of years. And now they're there. God is saying, you're going to go. And he's like, hey, I I want these spies. I want you spies. I want you to go in. I want you to check out the land. And I want you to bring a report to the people. When you see the good stuff, you're going to think, God is so good. When you see the milk and the honey flowing, you're going to be like, man, God is awesome that he would give this to us. And when you see the things that are dangerous, you're going to be like, God can do it. He is able. He's greater than these things. So he invites the the spies to go and to bring that report back. And as they do, the test is complete. Many believe, but most do not. Most do not believe so the spies, they return and they give the report. Look at verse 27. It says, they, they, they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. And so the 12 spies, they come back and maybe as I'm speaking this morning, you're imagining in that song that you heard in um, Sunday school, 10 were bad and two were good. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. We'll sing it together perhaps. In other words, they come back and initially they start out and they say, what 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 God has said is true. The land is indeed; it's very, very fruitful. They bring samples back to pass around, and they and the people are saying, "Yeah, this is some good fruit." And imagine the excitement—they're actually getting a taste. Literally, they're getting a taste. They're getting to smell and to see. This is just a part of what God has promised us. Even think about their time in the wilderness—they hadn't experienced, they haven't tasted fruit in some time. Well, God has met their nutritional needs; they haven't had much fruit. So here they get a taste of what's actually taking place, what they're about to experience. The land was so close. Think about it. They could literally taste it. They're a long way from Egypt. And then the, then the however comes, though. There's the good, the good part, and then there's the bad part. And everything really goes downhill from there for the children of Israel. This however is given, and, and, you, and, you, and it just gets bad. Verse 28, it says, However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites, they dwell in the sea and along the Jordan. And 10 continue, they say, it's great, it's beautiful, it tastes good, it's flowing with milk and honey. But the people are large. They're bigger than us. There's a lot of them there. By the way, they're well in line with what they've been asked to do. Moses said, go in to see. Are they big? Are they, are they strong? Are they few? Are they many? Are the cities tough? Are they not? Are they weak? What, give us the report. So they're well within what they're supposed to be doing right now. They're just stating facts. They say, their cities are fortified. Large walls, able to, to, to walk side by side. Many men having a race across the top of the, 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 the city wall. Compared to the tabernacle. Surrounded by... Thousands of tents couldn't hold anybody out in and of themselves. They're comparing, they're comparing one to the other. We're not a match for them. They're stronger. Their cities are, strong, are tougher. They said besides all this, there's giants in the land. And as you think about giants, I want you to think of Goliath. You know, the idea is there's some, there's some really big people there. They really are. And by the way, the, again, these are all facts can see here in verse 30, it says, but Caleb Caleb quieted the people, which is to say that the the people begin to lose their minds. They hear the good report and then they begin to experience that emotion that many of us experience on a daily basis. It's fear. It begins to to creep in. They, They were focused on God. They saw the truth about Him and what He was bringing them to, what He was giving to them. And then... They begin to hear the bad report, and as they hear that bad report, it shifts from God they begin to focus on the fear. What if I lose this? What if I lose that? What if I experience this? What if I experience that? So they begin to rumble. They begin to, to get a little bit upset, and they're maybe uh, arguing with one another, and as, as fear usually leads to. Caleb steps up, and he says, Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well Able to overcome it. Notice the confidence in that man, Caleb. In, in comparison, in contrast to the other ten. Had they been to the same place? Had they seen the same thing? Did they break up and they each kind of said, oh, let's go to different areas. You take that area, you take this area. And Caleb just actually didn't. Caleb went to the vineyard place. He didn't actually go. He went to the wine tasting events and he didn't actually see the army in the, in the, in the armories. He didn't see all that. Well, no, he did. They saw the same thing. And yet, the report is different. One say we can't, and the others say that we can. The Bible says, verse 31, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. I want you to Think about this. We sing this song that says... Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, right? Ten were bad, two were good. You know that song. As you think about that song, as you think, okay, so there's ten good guys, there's, there's two, or two, ten bad guys, two good guys. What made the, the, the bad guys bad? I want you to think about that. Well, first off, from what we've seen so far, they've not, they've not said anything wrong, they've not said anything that wasn't true. They've done what they've been asked to do, and yet there's something now that they're adding to, not only is there something they're adding to, but there's something that they're leaving out. It says in verse 32 that they, that they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. And that bad report is not a, hey, it's, it's not good, it's, it's, it's ugly, the place just is terrible. No, the bad report actually points to the fact that they were being deceptive. The bad report actually points that they were being a false witness, that there was lies, that they were exaggerating, that they were manipulating the people. And this is a bad report. This is evil. This is why we're saying it's evil. They're embellishing. And what they're adding to is the fact that the land actually devours the people. That's not true. As if it was some type of a wilderness that would just swallow them up. As if they were safer in Egypt or safer actually in Paran. None of these things are true. What they were leaving out is they had forgotten that God was with them. They had forgotten that God had done all of these things. I want you to notice there's a shift. All the things in the past, there's a shift. It's almost the moment that God invites them in to, to play a role, they get the big head, and they think it's all about them, that they will control everything, that they will, they're all on their own. It hasn't been the case in the past. And as God invites them in, they forget about Him. Think about that. Has that happened to you in your own life, when you've been in your most desperate moments, and you've cried out to God and He's come to your aid? You thought, man, this, this is Yahweh. This is my God. This is the one that meets my needs. This is the God who rescues. This is the God who sees and knows. And as you go through life, you think, you begin to ride off into the sunset on your own bicycle without the training wheels, and you begin to think, I'm all on my own. The children of Israel, to to them I would say, you were never alone. And God has always done these things. And even now you're not. And To you this morning I would say the same. You're not alone. Christian, you're not on your own. Whatever you face, whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever giant is in your life at this moment, be it sin or be it just anxiety, whether it be tragedy, whatever it is, you're not alone. The Lord is with us. So they give a bad report and they manipulate and they exaggerate and this cannot, can't do, cannot, can't do, it just ensues, right? This argument, the battle of, of truth here. It can be kind of humorous as we imagine them bickering back and forth. But what's sad is that the people actually believe the false report. The people actually believe the false report. Verse fourteen, or Chapter 14, verse 1 says that the people raised a loud cry now. And they cried and they wept. They're, they're convinced this is an emotional devastation that they're facing right now. Truly just weakened and crippled by fear. They're even so scared that, again, they begin to talk about the good old days in Egypt. Right? What? <laughs> Why? Why? So soon they had forgotten what God had brought them from. Crippled by fear, and they want to turn back. They even are to the point where they want to raise up a new leader to take them back into Egypt. And all this has begun because the spies were asked to give a report. And the report that they give, they embellish and they taint there's a lesson here, there's a warning for us, and it's for those who lead. And as I say, for those who lead, some of you might say, okay, well, he's not talking to me, this doesn't apply to me. Well, it's been argued that leadership is simply influence. Leadership is simply, in, simply influence. So you might say, well, I'm not a leader, but well, do you have influence on people? If you have influence on anybody, then this, this warning applies to you, but be it because of your position or because of your proximity to people, beware of this. Does your influence encourage people in their faith, or does it discourage them in their faith? Does your your influence on those around you, those in your home, those in your place of work, your, your superiors even, does your life, does your speech, does it speak truth about God, or does it speak lies about God? Does it manipulate the truth and paint it in a way that would discourage people from following the Lord, or does it encourage them and empower them to do that? One of the most beautiful things about the church that God has given to us is that we as a church come together and we edify one another. We spur one another along to to love and good works and to faith. The point of the church. Here we see the opposite happening. they are discouraging one another from following the Lord. And so ask yourself this question. Does my influence on those in my sphere pull people away from the Lord or draw them closer? If your teacher this morning Truly, if, you're a, if that's your occupation, if you're a teacher, the warning is for you. By God's mercy, would you, re, would you ask him to reveal to you any sin or mistake or, or neglect in your life? Parents, co-workers, ask yourself the same question. Don't fall asleep at the wheel, as it were. Recognize that you're either leading people to Christ or drawing them away. So the people, they're thrown into a panic. They're experiencing some serious fear. And you know this. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. No, that's maybe not entirely true. Not all of that. That's a bit of a joke. But fear ultimately does lead them to rebellion. Fear leads the people of God to rebellion, to blasphemy. And it subsequently, at the end, it's, they experience suffering because of their fear. The fear truly does lead them to suffering and to loss. as They lose the opportunity to even experience the promised land. Those who did not believe, those who turned away from Yahweh, in this moment they, they don't enter into the promised land. As a result of their distrust in God, they'll never even see it. They were afraid. Here's the irony, and there's so much irony in this passage, but here's one of the most stark examples. They were afraid that they were going to go into the promised land and die. and Not get to enjoy it. And they actually end up dying in the wilderness, having never seen it. And the children of Israel will actually go in. It takes some time, but they actually go in, and the Lord is with them. And they actually occupy the land. And they receive that blessing that God had promised to them in faith. So I want to just warn you this morning you're in serious danger when your feelings become more powerful than your facts. You're in serious danger when your feelings become more powerful than the facts. So be careful of that. When your fears become stronger than your faith, you're in danger. When your fears are stronger than your faith, you're in danger. And so instead of the glory of God and the power of God being preeminent in their life and and consuming them, the giants in the land eclipsed God. The thing that they faced in their life, it eclipsed it. All they could see was their enemies. All they could see was their obstacles. So again, just I want to ask you this morning, Christian, what has eclipsed the power and presence of God in your life? Is there something that has eclipsed the power and presence of God in your life? Maybe, maybe it's the fact that you're afraid that you'll be alone. Is, it, is, that, is, that, is that fear in your life? Is it eclipsed the glory of God? Maybe you're af- afraid of losing something because you're vulnerable. Is there something in your life that you're just that, that's consuming you now? It's a, that's the giant in your life. Maybe it's what other people think of you. What, what, what do people think of you? What will they say of me? Instead of God being the consuming power in your life, it's it's man. You can't even see him anymore. It's eclipsed. So what sin is it? is it? Is it Egypt? Are you craving for that sin and it's eclipsing the glory of God? Or is there some big hairy giant living in your city that, that's threatening to defeat you? Likely that's not the case. Likely there's nobody here that's saying, my, my fear, is that even a fear? I should have looked that up. My fear is that giants are going to destroy me. None of us are really thinking that this morning. That's not what threatens us. But I'm willing to bet that at some point level in your life, you are experiencing the fear of man. In his book, When People Are Big, Ed Welch addresses this. He, talk, he argues that the desire to be wanted and accepted and needed by other people is common in all of us, including myself. That wanting the approval of others, wanting to be accepted and needed by others, fear of man, as the Bible calls it, is in every one of us, that we're all beholden to somebody on some level sin. We, we fear exposure or humiliation. We fear rejection or ridicule. We fear physical attack or even oppression, and it cripples us. And in one way or another, every, every one of us, we struggle with that. And Welsh, in his point, he makes it clear that, that uh, we can all be singing. I mean, this is a beautiful example. You've probably all been there. You can all be singing just to the top of your lungs by yourself as you're driving down the road. You're all by yourself, Radio's blasting, or the podcast is... Whatever it is. But if you look over, as you're just belting it out, as you look over and you see somebody looking at you, what do you do? What emotion just races over you? Embarrassment, isn't it? Now, some of you are like, no, I'm not embarrassed at all. But most of us, when we see that they see us, we're embarrassed. We stop. We look away. We won't look them in the eye. Why? We, we hope we never see them again. And you know what? It's likely you never will. And yet it still bothers us, he points out. That's a small, humorous illustration of of the fear of man in our lives. And we care so much about what other people think about us. It's true that, that, that we fear the opinion of complete strangers. Maybe that's even why for you this morning that you struggle with evangelism. You struggle to share the good news that God has done in your life, that he's given and revealed to you. It's a fear of man. You're you're afraid of what people will think about you. I'm not anemic to that. I'm I'm not going to say this morning I've never struggled with that. I fear, like the rest of us, rejection or embarrassment. And in those moments that we experience that what's taking place is those giants are eclipsing the glory of God. They're standing in front of us and we can't even see the glory of God and the goodness of, 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 of Jesus Christ. Because of what's in front of us. So maybe the giants in your life that you're afraid of are not actually people. Maybe it's failure. You don't want to start something because you think you may not be able to finish it. Perhaps it's justification though. Perhaps you're thinking, is it true that I can really just ask God to to forgive me of my sins based on the work that Jesus did on the cross and he'll forgive me as wicked of a sinner as I am? Maybe that's your struggle. You're, You're in fear of that. Maybe that's the, the giant in your life. Maybe it's sanctification. I believe that the Lord has saved me, but I, just, I don't see him changing me. I'm not changing fast enough. I just don't know that he can even change me. You're, you're crippled by that. You're struggling with this idea that the Lord can even work in your life. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, I want you to see the, spy, the spies they saw something that was real, didn't they? They really did see fortified cities. They really did see giants. They really did see a strong people. They were were recognizing what was reality, but they had forgotten a key piece. So, Caleb, in just a moment, me this morning as well, I want to encourage you in the same way to look past whatever is in front of you, to look past whatever is obscuring your view of God and His power and His glory and His presence in your life. Consider whatever that thing is in light of what God is. Consider whatever you're facing in light of the glory that God has revealed to you. God is bigger. Imagine this: the life of Peter, disciple of Jesus, out on that sea as a storm is raging, Peter says He sees Jesus walking across the water, and he says, Jesus, can I come out too? Jesus says, come on. So Peter, in faith, excitement, jumps out of the boat. This is is great. I'm I'm with Jesus. That's all I can see. I can't wait to tell people about my experience. I'll tell my grandkids about this. I'm going to write a book about this. This is going to be great. He's walking out there to Jesus, and it's a beautiful experience. In the face of danger. He sees a wave. It's not a joke. It's a real wave. It's something that can really do him harm. He sees that. And as he sees that and he hears the howling of the wind and the, and the thunder and the lightning, his view of God, his view of Christ becomes smaller. And it's been obscured by this fear, this the situation that he's in. And what begins to happen in the life of Peter? What happens right then? He begins to sink. He's swallowed up, as it were, by fear. Is that not a picture of us in in our lives this morning? Is that a picture of you today? Your eyes were on Jesus, full of joy, moving towards him, and then danger comes. It's not a joke. It's a real danger. Maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe it's death even. Maybe it's a real sin, a real addiction, whatever it is, and you've got, it's it's, going to swallow you up. And you're focusing on that this morning. I would call to you, encourage you. Lift your eyes to Christ. Lift your eyes to God this morning. This is what Caleb does. Look at verse 6, chapter 14. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, they tore their clothes. Before we get into what they say, let's spend some time looking at that. Tore their clothes. Why why did they tear their clothes? It's a sign of a broken heart. It's a sign of anguish. It could involve anger. They're they're tearing their clothes. They're, they're, They're just crushed by what is taking place. That the children of Israel would not believe God, that they wouldn't follow him, they're destroyed by that. Hearts broken, they speak up. Verse 7, it says, And they said to the congregation of all the people, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceeding good land. And if the Lord delights in us, He'll bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the, don't fear the people of the land. They're bread for us. and Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Show courage here. Again, I'm just curious. Is that your play? When you, when you get a hold of truth, when you see truth and you know it, do you, do you stand up and say something about it? You see somebody, maybe a brother or a sister, going astray, somebody in the church, a family member perhaps. Are you brave enough to speak up and to, to speak truth in their lives? Okay, I'm going to address both sides of that. Perhaps would, you'd would say this morning, you'd say, well, that's not me. I don't do that. I I I struggle with that, and I would leave people to their own devices, oftentimes, to my shame. To you, I would encourage you: stand up for the Lord, speak truth into other people's lives. Don't don't let fear grip you. Even you might say, "Well, that's the most loving thing to do." Let people go their own way. That's the most unloving thing you can do. To those of you this morning that would say, "That's me," I stand up for what's right. I always do. I fight for what's right, I would ask you this. What's your motivation? This is a good time to reflect. You Stand up for what's right. You're excited about serving the Lord. You're excited about the truths of the Lord. What's your motivation when you do speak up? When you do and, and interject? I ask you this question. Is it Do you speak up to preserve your winning streak? So that you can confirm to yourself and everybody around you that you know what you're talking about? that you're on the right side, that you're right, you're doing what's right, are you there? Is your motivation to defend your own glory? Is your motivation, like Caleb's, to bring glory to God? I want to warn you this morning, this is a warning for myself, that God will not share his glory with another. That's not what Caleb's trying to do here. Caleb's not trying to say, I was right. You guys are going to see in 40 years, you're going to see in just a few hours that I was right and you were wrong. You should have listened to me. By the way, I'm really ticked because I just, this was a nice coat and I just tore it. And that's not his motivation there. That's not what he's saying. He's truly heartbroken because people are lying about the God that he serves, that he loves, that he knows the truth about. They're blaspheming him. That breaks his heart that they're lying about God. And let that be the, your motivation as you stand humbly and offer correction and speak truth into people's lives. You do it for the glory of God and not for your own because he will not share his glory with you. He will not. I want you to look at Caleb's response, though. It's a very logical response and it flows well. First thing he offers out is this. The land is good. It's real good, he says. That's the truth. It's a fact, he says. Listen, folks. It's good. This is his rebuttal. This is his final remarks. He's tore his clothes. He's broken hearted. He's got one plea to the people and he says, The land is good. Listen. He says, because the land is good, know that, but then know this, that if God delights in us, if Yahweh delights in us, he'll give it to us. That, 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 that statement, if, that word, what he, it really means since. It's a foregone conclusion. He says, yes, this land is good, and that's true. God said it was, we've seen it. And then he also says, if God delights in us, of course God delights in them. Look what He's done. Look at the times He's forgiven them and, and brought them along and been patient with them. So the second truth, if He delights in us, yes, He delights in us. Look behind you, everything He's brought you through. He delights in us. The third point He brings out, He'll he it, bring us. And the beautiful thing is there, He's already brought them. They're on the edge. They're right there. They're about to take the land. The Lord is giving them this land. They're much closer to the promised land than they are to Egypt, both on a map and chronologically. They're there. So that's the third truth. If he brings us, the fourth is that he's already given it to them. He'll bring them to the land. The fourth truth is that he'll give them the land. In a sense, he's already given it to them, it's already theirs. So Caleb says these are the four truths. The land is good. Yahweh delights in us. He'll bring us to the land, and he'll, he's, or he's brought us to the land, and he's giving us the land. So with those four truths, then he gives two applications. Before I give those two applications, before I point them out, I want to just encourage you. That's, is that true for you this morning? Do you see the truths that God is good? That the land is good? That the things that God has promised us this morning, if you're far from God this morning, that the promise is this, that if you will confess your sins, whatever they be, if you'll confess them, you'll forgive them. If you place your faith, listen, if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, in His work that He did on the cross for you, that He, was de- that he died, that He was buried, that He resurrected, the promise for you this morning is this, that you will receive forgiveness. You'll be acquitted of your wrongdoing. All of that will be placed on Jesus Christ. And as, that, as your sin is placed on Jesus, his righteousness is placed on you. That is a truth. That's a promise for us today. And that all of God's wrath that was against you and your sin and all of your wickedness has been taken and given to Jesus Christ. and He's paid for that. That is a truth for you this morning. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're an unbeliever, that is the truth. God delights in you. Just the fact that you can even hear the gospel. That beautiful good news. The fact that God would share that with me. That he would share that with you even this morning. Through a broken preacher. That's good news. That God delights in you. Isn't that a sign? He would reveal these truths to you. So I can say with assurity that God delights in you. He's brought us there. The fact that you're even here this morning. I think about this all the time. Sarah and I... We reminisce about what God has given to us in a faith, family, in this place, in our people here. What a blessing that that is for us, that we can walk through this. God's brought us to this, and he's given us so much. And and the same is true for you, perhaps. God has already brought you to the blessing. You're tasting of it right now. So he gives two applications now, Caleb does, and I think they, they definitely apply to the children of Israel, and I believe they apply to us today. He says this, because of these four truths, don't rebel against Yahweh. Don't rebel against Yahweh. And the second application he gives us is this, don't fear. Don't fear. I'm not trying to correct Caleb here, but he's addressing the big problem that they're they're rebelling against Yahweh, but rebellion, listen, it doesn't start with flat-on rebellion. That's not what's happening with the children of Israel. It started with fear. Many of you would say, "I'd, I'd never rebel against Yahweh, but many of you if you're honest, would say, I, I, I do fear. I do doubt. I do struggle. I, ha- I, I have never truly wanted to rebel against Yahweh, but I have acted in rebellion against Yahweh, and many times it's because of your fear. So, my challenge for you today is to see truths one through four and don't fear. See truths one through four that the land is good, that Yahweh delights in us, that He's brought us to the land and He'll give us the land. Don't fear. And don't rebel. The 10 said, we can't. They're stronger. We're like grasshoppers. They'll, they'll eat us for breakfast, basically, is what they're saying. The, the grasshopper is the smallest insect that they're going to eat in those days. And so that's a delicacy. They're saying, they'll, they look at us and they see Oreos. Like, they're going to they're gonna eat us. They're, it's a snack. Caleb responds in verse 9, and it's so, ir- it's so ironic. It's beautiful. He's, he's, he's arguing against that statement that we're just like grasshoppers. It says, listen, don't rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people, for they are bread for us. They're bread for us. The Hebrew word there is actually where we get pop tart. Just kidding. No, that's not true. But what he's, Caleb is saying, no, 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 no. They're not going to eat us. They will be bread for us. They won't eat us for breakfast. We'll eat them for breakfast. No, they're not cannibals. But he's saying, we're, we're not going to experience defeat. What does he say? Why, why is he saying that? What, what is all this based upon? The fact that God is with us. The fact that God is with us. That's what's different for Caleb. He recognizes that God is with him. That God is with the people of Israel. That's the key. Is that something that you can agree with today? Is that something that you're standing on even now? That no matter what you face, no matter what giants are in front of you, That God is with you. Caleb saw the giants. He's not an idiot. He wasn't blind. He saw them. He was well aware. He knew the cities were strong. He knew the people were great. But he knew that his God was much, much bigger. And That God would, if he's with them, if he's for them, then nothing could stand in their way. Nothing could stand against them. This is the issue that we face this morning. Instead of letting, allowing the giants to become bigger and bigger in our lives. Instead of allowing the people in our lives to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. They need to get smaller and smaller as we see Christ. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease, he said. Speaking of Jesus. He said, Jesus, he needs to get bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. And I need to get smaller. And let me tell you this, you can't shrink anything. Try it. You're trying to make something a little bit smaller. You can't. Can you make yourself get a little bit taller? Now, you might can lose a little bit of weight. Whole 30, keto, those things are great. But you're not going to make yourself any bigger. You're not going to shrink yourself down. Parents, you might say, I want my kids to stop growing. I'd love for them to get a little bit smaller. They stink less. Not too small, but smaller. <coughs> right? You can't. You can't do that. You can't do the impossible. But what you can do is this: you can really see in comparison, right? Size is all relative. So that giant may be humongous. It might be 15 feet tall. But God is so much bigger. And he's so much greater than that. He's so much greater than whatever you face. And so don't allow God to become small in your life. Study the Lord. Study his word. And see that he is so much bigger than whatever it is that you face this morning. And I can say that in confidence, not knowing many of you. Whatever you face, God is bigger. God is greater. So, in the face of justification, confess your sin and believe that He is faithful to forgive. He will. Perseverance. You say, I don't know if I can hang on. I don't know if I can keep up this whole Christian thing. The Bible says that He will hold you fast. He will hold you. He will cause you to to continue fighting the good fight, even when you can't, when you're tired. He will continue that. In sanctification, I I can't do right. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to make myself better. I'm trying to stop doing these things. I'm trying to start doing these things. And all that, trust in the Lord that He is so much bigger. And whatever it is you're facing, that He will sanctify you. He will make all things new. And He is making all things new. He's even making you, Christian, new. In evangelism, you say, I don't know if I can preach the gospel. I don't know if I can share the gospel. I don't know if they'll listen. I don't know if I can change their heart. You can't. It's a huge giant. You can't do it. As we share the gospel, as we share what the Lord has done with us, as we share the good news that He has given to us, we know that He is working. He's greater than a broken than than a stone heart. He not only can crush a a heart of stone, but He can give and create a heart of flesh. So my encouragement for you this morning, Christian unbeliever, is this: Don't die at the Jordan. Don't die at the gate to the promise that God has offered. Don't die there. That's what the children of Israel did, many of them. They never went across. They never went in. They had come so far, and they stopped there. As a young girl, Louisa Stead, she felt the call to missionary service, but as she grew up, became an adult, got married, her health was so poor that she couldn't actually leave and become a a foreign missionary. So she started that family, and and one day in her life, they had decided they were going to go to the sunny beach of Long Island Sound in New York. And while they were there at their picnic lunch, they noticed out in the distance, um, Louisa, her husband, and their daughter, they're enjoying this beautiful sunny day. And they look out into the sound, and they see that there's a boy drowning. And this is a true story. The father, being just a courageous man, um, he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go save him. He doesn't even say, he just takes off. There's no, no last words, nothing. He just takes off. And as often happens when one person is trying to rescue another that's drowning, the one that's drowning will actually, in effect, drown the rescuer. That's what took place. And so mother and daughter look on as father, the rescuer, is drowned. And in the moments and in the weeks and months that followed, dark and painful as they were, an anthem began to just pour off the lips of Louisa. And she began to pen and say these words. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus "'and to take Him at His word, "'just to rest upon His promise and to know, "'Thus saith the Lord, "'Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, "'how I've proved Him o'er and o'er, "'Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, "'oh for grace to trust Him more.'" In the face of tragedy, it was most difficult to believe the best and to see where and how the Lord was working placed their faith in Jesus and trusted Him. So whether you're facing this morning tragedy or loss or some type of a sin that you've been enslaved to for years or this fear of failure, the fear of falling, the fear of pain, whatever it is, I, like Caleb this morning, want to encourage you with this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I encourage you to lift up your eyes to see God for who He truly is and to see Jesus and to realize that He is bigger than whatever it is you face. Maybe you weren't even a believer when you walked in this morning. My encouragement to you, and my question to you is, will you trust in Jesus? Will you trust Him this morning? Christian, this is the same question for you. Will you believe in His Word? Will you, will you walk in that truth that He has given to us? Will you believe? Would you pray with me? God, this morning we just thank you for the truths that we've seen. You've revealed to us truth. Time and again, as we look at your word, we find out more and more and more about you. Everything that we know about you, everything that you've revealed to us about yourself is good. We see your faithfulness through the ages. We see your your, your faithfulness to the church. We see your faithfulness to your people in the Old Testament. And we ask that you would help us to have the faith of Caleb. That though we see these wicked things, though we see the the, the danger in our lives, that we would be like Caleb and we would see that you have been a good God in the past. That you have shown us favor. That you've been a God of mercy and justice that you fought for us that you are our warrior and we trust in you this morning god god corporately as a church we pray that you give us the faith to believe that you are with us no matter what we face god be near to us this morning we ask these things in the name of jesus and for his glory alone amen